Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. This is Ethan Huffman speaking and Elkin Belcher is with me today. Elkin, you've had a pretty adventurous time this last week. <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners um, what, and, what and where you've been doing it? Yeah, some of the listeners may know I'm a teacher, principal, and I just finished coming back from the eighth grade class trip with Chicago for a few days. Been there since Wednesday, got back last night, and let me tell you, I'm tired. I've just been asleep this morning. So it was fun, but definitely tiring. Yeah, no doubt. Unfortunately, the Bulls cannot get to the playoffs for you guys. You guys could have maybe popped over for a quick game if uh, if things would have worked out better and, and there was more money to be had. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, the Bulls didn't make the playoffs, so there's no uh, no opportunity for that. Nah, it's okay. I'll wait another time. Maybe next year's class, wherever they go, we're going to choose a playoff team. And That's go to right. That city. <laughs> so that's that's the idea. Well, you could have stayed home and, and went to the uh, Pacers games. Um, you got one more that's starting in like 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pacers, Elkin, they're they having a very tough go of it. I picked them in five, or I picked the Celtics in five. I think you picked the Celtics in six. Uh, Richard was the one who picked the sweep, but I think he was doing it to be a bully more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do a quick little Pacers talk because you bet you've missed some pods since the series have begun. What what are, what are you seeing out there with with your team, pal? Just just not enough, not enough to sustain the offense that they need. I think it's been evident, and all the games that I've seen of them, it's like, all right, their defense is still where it needs to be. The problem is, I mean, they had one game where they scored eight points in the third quarter. There's no way you're going to win a basketball game that way. And a few other games, they've had leads going into the fourth quarter. But what happens, the Celtics have a guy on the other side. It's just overwhelming, while the Pacers, their strategy has – Normally been all right, everyone does what they need to do. But then at the end, we got Victor. He's our closer, give him the ball. He can finish, he can create, he does what we need to do. And that strategy worked out well. I think you even said it yourself before the pod. You said, hey, Victor was fully healthy. The Pacers probably would have been a third seed and most likely not playing the Celtics in the first round. Yeah. We'd have been playing the Nets. That's what would have happened. And I think we kind of saw that trend because they were able to keep up when Victor was healthy. But that's what I've seen just. Not enough offense, and some of these guys, like McDermott and Evans, just have been disappointed in these series as well. That's yeah, no, what's going on for me? Yeah, there's no doubt that um, we haven't haven't seen what we wanted to see. Yeah, uh, the shooting shooting has been abysmal for a lot of your guys. Like, just not the ball is not going through the hoop. Um, I had an idea that I was going to run past you. Um, Unfortunately, Corey Joseph has been one of the guys who's at least being efficient with his minutes. He's not playing mm-hmm. like great by any standards, but he's playing yeah. competently, and he's he's a good defender. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were. Like, is is there is this the time to say Aaron Holiday? Like, at least you have the elusiveness and quickness to break a couple guys down with the dribble. Let's see what you got, Edmund Sumner. You at least can throw your body towards the rim in an athletic manner. Let's see what you got. I, I'm just kind of tired of seeing the chuck and duck nature and no, no real like shot creation other than from um, some, some bonus post-ups. And that's, what's frustrating me the most um, in this series so far. Yeah. And the local, a lot of the fans here, they've been feeling the same way. They said, yeah, I know we have our, our veteran guys like Joseph and Collison. The problem is that these guys aren't meant to break down a defender one-on-one. They're good with their sets, what they need to do. And like you said, Corey Joseph has been, efficient in his minutes but they've been clamoring for Aaron Holiday they keep asking why isn't he getting more playing time that's been one of the big 
the fans have been fairly okay with management and coaching, but they've been upset with that part where they're like, we have a guy who's quick. We have these young guys that we're trying to develop like Sumner, but we don't do it. Why aren't we doing it enough? Why aren't we playing them enough? And those issues are coming in. Who knows? There's a reason why we're not in in the building with them. We're not a part of the coaching staff. We don't know. The coaching staff may see something else. But what I see a lot of times is is nothing's getting done on offense. And I think you saw some of those games where I forgot which game it was where the Pacers had the lead, had like a one-point lead. And then Jason Tatum came down, and he made that three to give the Celtics a lead. And then the Pacers just on offense was like turnover, turnover, turnover right after that. Yeah. No, it's it's real tough. I mean, it's mm-hmm. this, and I, I don't necessarily think Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner are going to lead to wins. But yeah. it's, if if nothing else, this team, like, what w- what is Darren Collison doing for you, mm-hmm. for the either the future, of the franchise, or the present when he's playing, you know, mediocre and he's, but he's not really helping you get things accomplished on offense. Like, I I personally think like we're watching, you know, young guys like Donovan Mitchell who who's struggling this postseason, mm-hmm. but he's out there getting minutes. He's he's going to learn from all of this and. For as little as Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner played in the regular season, like they weren't big minutes getters. Like this is a, a like invaluable minutes that they can get in a postseason intensity game. If, you know, if Terry Rozier's dogging them, you know, for ninety feet, like that's that's something that he, you're not going to see much in the regular season because the intensity is just not that high. Even mm-hmm. if they go out and fail, I think it would be healthy for them to get some minutes in yep. here in twenty minutes. I hope I hope we see something like that, Doug McDermott. Uh, he signed up for the team, but like, what's how much better is he going to get from taking some minutes out here? Tyreek Evans, he's gone at the end of the year. I don't think they'll bring him back. Corey Joseph and Darren Carlson, maybe you should keep one of them because you know you need one veteran point guard on the team. But this team's got a lot of guys who are not coming back. I think this is, it'd be really smart to turn on the focus for this series, especially when you probably aren't going to win Game Four anyway. Just turn it over to some young guys and see see what they can do, and let them go out and try something. Yeah, definitely. That's a good strategy. But that's all I got on the Pacers. I think we should go on to some of the other games that have been going on, the other series. All right. Now, I'm, well, let's transition then to the Denver Nuggets and San Antonio Spurs. Mm. It's a series that I've been very interested in. Um, kind of pr- <laughs> pretty pretty invested in as a LaMarcus Aldridge was my third team All-NBA center, and I you know believe he's amazing. Jokic was my second team All-NBA center, and I you know also think he's really great. But I, I picked the Nuggets in seven, and the reason I picked them that way is because I thought the Spurs have and or had the ability and have the skill set to really like just stress out what Denver does. Uh, you know, with the, with the um, you know Derek White, who I don't think is a bad player, I just don't think is an all world player like he's been pumped up to be. <laughs> um, he could put pressure on Jamal Murray. I thought Aldridge could handle Jokic. Um, they put Pirtle on. Uh, Jokic, I, I think maybe that's a they can't afford to have Aldridge getting a lot of foul trouble because Pirtle definitely was picking up some fouls. Um, ultimately, the, the Nuggets earned back their home court advantage, which it, it, it bodes well for my pick to have them win in seven. Um, mm-hmm. Though I don't actually care about that because I'd like to see the Spurs win personally. Ooh. Because Ooh. I, I think the Blazers, if they can beat the Thunder, would have a lot harder time with the Nuggets because of our uh, trash def- center defense. Um, anyway, not important. But um, I want to mention Jokic. He scored 29 points on 22 shots. It's not as efficient as you'd like, but I'm happy to see him hunting his shot and going and being aggressive with the ball. But he and he still got eight assists. So like it's the thing about really good passers is they they walk into assists. They don't have to hunt them. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I know what you've gotten from those Spurs victory. What I see in those Spurs victory that the Nuggets are having a hard time 
yeah, Jokic was getting his assists, but the Spurs had the guards that they need, like you said, to irritate. And I think at first, I don't know if this was Popovich's strategy, was let's make the other guys more creators than Jokic. That's what we're trying to do, make them get the ball in their hands and try to do more of that. And, I mean, yeah, I think game three, Derek White had a career game, and he did what he needed to do. But overall, I think I'm on your side when I do want the Spurs to win, but I just want the Spurs to win. I don't, I don't think the Nuggets have that good of a team. They are good. Obviously, they got the second seed. It's just I feel like Jokic has to carry most of this team. But, Ethan, it just keeps bothering me that the Nuggets, the matchups that they've had with LaMarcus Aldridge, like he's our guy. We, we, we dedicated a third of a podcast on him. And mm-hmm. I watched those games, and it's like, Aldridge, same move. And it's like the ball hits the background almost every time. He goes over the right shoulder. And I'm like, Aldridge, you have a height advantage. I think you pointed out in the doc, he has a height advantage over Millsap. He's definitely faster than Jokic. Jokic is, I think we call it the traditional Kendrick Perkins running memorial where he looks like he's running in boots. Yeah. And, like, I want Aldridge to do good because some of these games, I think, if Aldridge was, like, he hasn't been horrible. But if he was playing, like, the Aldridge that we've seen, all-NBA potential, I think this series will probably be leaning more towards the Spurs. Yeah, no, so I live in Portland, as everyone knows, and I was play, I played basketball, you know, I tried to play as much as I can, but it's been a couple times a week these last couple weeks, guys. There's been a, a late Wednesday night, like, little pickup run that um, I've been going to. And I was listening to some, you know, conversations that people I don't know very well were having, and they were saying that, that they were happy that Aldridge is in San Antonio, not still in Portland, because it wouldn't make a difference. Dame and CJ wouldn't progress, and that Nurkic is better than Aldridge. And I didn't say anything because I don't, I don't like being the know-it-all NBA guy with, um, with people I don't know. But I was like, man, yeah, I realize it's not it, this team could still have had Nurkic if Aldridge was here. They, they, it's not a you don't you didn't have to not trade for him, but like you'd be saved from all these bad contracts um, that you end up giving out because. Evan Turner, Myers Leonard got that Aldridge money, mm-hmm. and that's not important. But like Aldridge has scored forty plus points in playoff games. He is a matchup nightmare yep. when he's on. I guess I think the problem is 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 much like a lot of you know guys who live and die in the mid range. Sometimes the shots just aren't falling, and if you don't make a focus and an effort to get the bucket, the ball to go in, what are you gonna do? And, you know, you could even point to, like, James Harden and his anomaly shooting game last night where he started off 0 for 15 and finally got a walk-in dunk, and then all of a sudden he started making shots. And it, it's not like – I mean, in his post game, James was like, I didn't know that I was shooting that horribly. Like, I knew I wasn't making things, but, like, I, I wasn't I wasn't conscious of what I, how bad it was. And, you know, sometimes it's just you, – you see the ball go in, and all of a sudden you're feeling much better about everything. And I think that's something Aldridge should focus on. Um, the rest of the series is, you know, go establish lower position, get it where you can do a couple hook shots instead of turning over um, and fading away. Like it's just d- diversify your offense a little bit, Lamarcus, and I think I think you'll have a lot more success. Yeah, and that's what I'm seeing with him. And by the way, I believe you were right that they could have had Aldridge still and Nurkic because I believe they just traded away Mason Plumley. Yeah, no, it's, it's, all, it's yeah. all theoretical stuff, Yeah, but right? it's, it could have been something that was possible because before when they got Nurkic, I know there was a hole that they had to sign him to an extension later on, but theoretically speaking, yeah, I mean, it the, could have been something that's... The, the Nurkic being available was a Nuggets thing. The yeah. Nuggets 
needed to get rid of him or Jokic, and obviously they chose right and got rid of Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe the Blazers don't make that move because Plumlee's a better, you know, is much is much more okay being, you know, a fourth player on the team than being a, you know, the third player for that Blazers team. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna parse what, who who is more important that team, but. The point is, like, you would have had that LaMarcus Aldridge money instead of Evan Turner and Myers Leonard getting paid like they are, and that would have been great. It would have been a lot better. Above, yeah, because all of a sudden then, like, you know, the money that you're spending on Nurk hypothetically or, you know, all the, these other guys who you had to bring in, like maybe that's going to some 3 and D wings, and all of a sudden this team, um, especially with the big three of Lillard, CJ, and LaMarcus, would, be, would have been rivaling something of the Warriors in terms of overall talent with their mm-hmm. big three. Well, probably not as good, obviously, but you yeah. get the idea. I, 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 know, I know what you're saying. So many times. Yeah, it's I know what so you're saying. Frustrating. So I saw it, this. Uh, sorry, not, not, to, not to stay too long. I saw this because you put this guy in your dock. Two guys from the Nuggets, though, that I have been liking a lot watching them play. Like whenever they come in, I just watch them play. Not just Torrey Craig. But Malik Beasley, mm, I like yes. both of those guys. Like when I watch them, I like what they bring to the table. And you're right. Like and for me, I didn't know much about Torrey Craig. Like and I, I looked him up. I'm like, what college did he go to? South Carolina Upstate. Never even heard of that. I'm like, where did they get these guys? Kudos once again to the Nugget scouting team. But these are two guys, and I know, and I know you really want to focus in on Torrey Craig. But I'm just, I just want to bring that up. The games that I watch, where both of them are in. Seems like when they go into the game, the dynamics of the game just changes for the Nuggets. And I understand that these guys are almost meant to be like not as big minutes. I know Torrey Craig started game four, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know he started, yeah, I know he started game four, but I've been enjoying these guys. I will say that's one thing I do like that the Nuggets have going for them. Well, so Torrey Craig, I got to introduce to him by, um, you know, watching a lot of Nuggets games on League Pass because mm-hmm. – Jokic is something you can't miss. You need to okay. watch him play, especially since I moved out to the West Coast, had the opportunity to watch a lot more of his games. And um, Torrey Craig, is, I, I told him, I'm like, oh, wow, that guy really plays defense hard. You know, he gets in people's in people's jerseys. He's, he's an irritant. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's nothing, like, that annoys me about, like, his antics. So it's even – it's just it's just perfect, you know. Um, and Malik Beasley, I was super high on him in the draft. I was like, he's athletic. He, he's going to be able to shoot, and then it's just it's just been a slow burn for him, and it's kind of been like a Gary Harris-like progression and getting into his third season before we really see the uh, the results. Those guys are both shooting incredibly well from three, 69% from Torrey Craig in the series, 56% from Malik Beasley in the series. Those guys mm-hmm. are um, playing incredibly um, important roles for their teams, and they both are good on the defensive end, or at least passable. Um, Malik Beasley, I think, is a little less good of a defender than Torrey Craig. But ultimately, like we're looking at these guys as you know, they're, they're just like really nice role players, and maybe you know, I, I don't think Torrey Craig's ever gonna be anything other than a role player. But Malik Beasley, like he could be, you know, if, if you're looking at what Gary Harris got paid, I don't see any reason why he couldn't get that kind of check from somebody um, in the near future. Hmm. I, I like him a lot. Yeah, and and that I think also Mike Malone, that was a good move on his part, inserting Torrey Craig into that starting lineup. Because Will Barton, it seems like, I mean, I enjoy the calling Will the Thrill. I enjoy him. But sometimes when he's playing, it's just, he's, he's, we had a nickname for guys like him in Indiana, a guy to Gerald Green. We call him Chuckums. Where they come in the game, they're just going to keep chucking it. And there was one, there were several sequences every time I saw Will Barton go in there. Like, he's great in spurts, but sometimes he is, does too much. But I think defensively, for me, he's obviously not as good as Torrey Craig on defense. Yeah. Which is definitely a plus for the Nuggets. And, 
I do think the Nuggets are like I want this first one, but I do think the Nuggets are gonna be able to pull it out. That's probably like one of the last things I would want to say about the Nugget series. Yeah. And Willie Barton's been hurt. So like mm-hmm. I think they're just it's all lingering stuff. Yeah. He's had a hard time getting in a rhythm because Will Will Barton, like he's another one of those guys. He used to play with the Blazers and you know, Damon CJ ride for that guy and they wish he was still on the team. And honestly, if he's still on the team, that'd be just another prober that could actually help a team like the Blazers, whereas the Nuggets, they have plenty of guys who create. They need guys who can catch and shoot and honestly play a much more reduced role. But mm-hmm. uh, I do have, can, can I ask ahead. you one question before we move on? Absolutely. I'm wondering this. How come, what's been happening with Trey Lyles? How come he's completely out of the rotation? He doesn't play defense, Elkin. Okay. So, just, what, what do you, what yeah, you got to do with wondering. <laughs> so ultimately, you got Mason Plumley, who while I dislike him a lot, don't think he's a good a good basketball player. He plays a fa- he 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 eats minutes up without like having a, a negative effect on the game. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, Trey Lyles, he's he might have a great effect on the game and really like you know put the game out of reach. But he also might tank the game. And if if Lamarcus Aldridge has a chance to attack Trey Lyles, he's going to get twenty points and ha- or he's going to get. A point, two points per possession every time uh, Trey Lyles matches up with him. So, like, you, can, you just can't, you can't have it, can't have it. All right, now I get it. Now I get it. All right. <laughs> I like Trey Lyles though. I think I still think there's a chance for that guy. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, man, he's getting no burn at all. Well, I mean, I, when I say Lamarcus Aldridge is going to average two points per possession if Trey Lyles guards him. That's that's he scores every time, Elkin. I'm not yeah, sure. I know. How I know. I, I, you are on the math. I know. I know. Points per possession. I know what that means. And okay, we better go on before we go on the trail. We don't want to bash trail outs too much here on the <laughs> All right. Um talking about the Blazers and and um and OKC. They play again tonight. So again, this is another game that this information might be outdated by the time you get to it, but gotta talk about it. Uh Russell Westbrook had a great game. He played mm-hmm. incredibly efficiently. He didn't have I don't remember him having a lot of turnovers. I'm gonna pull out the page again. But he, he, he really controlled the game, um, definitely was an irritant um, to Dame early in the game. Uh, the third quarter was the exception. Um, but also then they started having Paul George guard Dame, so you can tell me, like, what happened. Schroeder uh, was getting was getting worked. Westbrook got worked, so they had to throw PG on him. Um, I think that's the most annoying thing about this series is Russell Westbrook and Dame. They're definitely talking some trash. They're going back and forth. They're, they're beating – they're incredibly competitive individuals, but it's just hilarious to me if Russell Westbrook's going to like pump it, pump his chest out when he he won't even try to guard Damian Lillard. So it's it's just it just cracks me up in that regard. It's just it pains me to see that PG still isn't one hundred percent. That's the one yeah. thing because I think we all saw it since game one. You're like his shoulder hasn't healed completely, and you kind of see. I think these teams are a lot closer, especially without Nurkic. These teams are a lot closer than what it appears to be. And for me, Adams should who do who who do the Blazers really have that can match up with Adams at this point? No Well, Adams just kind of takes himself out of the game in terms of he doesn't look for shots. You know, he he gets mm-hmm. the ball ten feet from the hoop and is always looking to pass it back to somebody, which is it's fine because that's his that he's not an offensive dynamo, but like we're we're having cancer go out there and you know, get in the way, but it's it's you know, varying rates of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Collins, I thought, is looked okay. His game one was terrible, but I think he's played all right since then. And Myers Leonard, well, he 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 gambles and he's really bad at defense when he you know he kind of pumps himself up too much. He needs to relax a little bit and breathe. But ultimately, like, we don't really have a, a matchup for any of their centers that can competently put the ball in the hoop. Yeah, and I kind of see it. We're going into game four. 
For me, the game three is the game that you win if you're coming back home and you're down to oh, like the game three is the game you have to have. But it seems like game four is only when that team that was that's up two one kind of corrects itself. Was like, all right, we're adjusted to the to being on their home court. Now let's go ahead and get three one lead. This seems like a game that the Blazers should win. In my opinion, it feels like this is a game they should because for me, like you said, Dame Lillard is going to do what he needs to do. Can Russell Westbrook repeat something like this? I don't know, Ethan. Like he's been very inefficient for pretty much this entire year. Yeah. Unless I mean he could go off again, but if if he plays intelligently, Russell mm-hmm. Westbrook can do this every game because we don't have a rim protect. The, the Blazers don't have a rim protector, and and Dame's going to struggle to stay in front of him the whole time. Like Dame's Dame's playing a pretty good defensive series, to be honest. But um, it you know ultimately Russ is a physically imposing being for him. Um, I think my biggest frustration with um, with the game so far is I, I'm just I haven't seen any Jake Lehman. And for a team that's like not that you know just needs a guy who's going to catch and let it fly, I'd like to see him get out there a little bit more to help help Damian Lillard out. Um, I think he's better defensively than um, than Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood, I, I get it; like he can go get his own bucket allegedly, mm-hmm. but I just I don't see it. I, I guess you got to make it worth those second round picks you gave up, but I don't know I. Ultimately, Elkin, like I, I think I still believe the Blazers are going to win this series. I think they, I think they could win. I picked them in seven, like when Paul George I thought was healthier. Yeah. Um. But ultimately, Paul George is 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 hobbled. I don't think OKC has a chance because it's just Russell Westbrook's not going to shoot fifty percent from the court. Um, that many games, and mm-hmm. he's not going to shoot sixty six percent from three ever again in his career. Write it down. Um. I just like and I, I wrote down a stat. There's a Stephen Adams team that I didn't include, but the, the other team, other than other than Russ and Paul, Paul George, shot f- nine of fifteen from three in that last game, which is a really good percentage. Jeremy Grant, I love Jeremy Grant. I wish he played for another team so I could root for him more. But ultimately, I don't. I just do not think this 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 performance can be repeated. Mm-hmm. I think it's far more likely that the Blazers players uh, shoot better. Um, like. Uh, Mo Harkless doesn't play as bad. I think all those things are far more likely than um, Russell Westbrook to shoot as well as he did again. This makes me sad that your boy Scal isn't getting much burn in this series. I won't say that Scal deserves the burn that I would like <laughs> him to get, but yes, I would like to see him play, but I, I'm not sure he's a uh, – as as much as I believe in Scal, I, I don't know oh, if this, no. this is the time to te- uh, test it out. Oh, I know. Trust me, I know. No, but this series has been one of the more entertaining series. I mean, I think sometimes people try to the whole like, oh, the disrespect in this series. Paul George with a double pump reverse at the buzzer. Oh no! And I'm like, it's not even that big of a deal. Got a double pump reverse. You guys are still gonna lose. You heard about that, right? I, I heard some people were upset about it. Like I see yeah. it on Twitter, and I'm like, I've never understood that. Like, I don't. Like, why, why do I care if you throw an extra – like, what, my my defensive rating is going to go down a little bit? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of – and then I'm sure you heard about post game. People got upset at Russell Westbrook because he kept saying next question to this reporter. 
and they're like, it's it, this series is more about like I call fake anger. There's a lot of fake anger going on in this series. Well, if, if I was that reporter, since clearly you don't respect me anyway, I, I would just, you know, torch the relationship the rest of the way and say, Ross, how do you how do you play? And when you just played your best game, Damian Lillard almost ma- basically matched you. Um, when you're not the better player in the series, how are you going to win? <laughs> like I, I would just you know throw throw your career to the wind. Like what, mm-hmm. it's it's true objectively, Damian Lillard is much better than Russell Westbrook. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think anyone other than Kobe Stan type people would would argue it. Um, so if he doesn't want to answer your questions, bleep it. <laughs> Ask the one that's going to actually get it, man. <laughs> All right, I, I think we're ready to talk about our uh, another series out west. Yeah, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like yeah. you know three zero series. We don't. We, we well, we need to respect that you know the Jazz played their hearts out and you know it, really gave it a whirl. James Harden played really really poorly for three quarters, and it mm-hmm. didn't matter. The, the Rockets, the Rockets defense is kind of back. They're playing a lot better. Um, and Donovan Mitchell, I just want to mention him. Donovan Mitchell gets a lot of Dwayne Wade comps. He, you know, he's an incredible grinder. He really gets after it. Got a lot of athleticism. Got a shot that doesn't look bad, but it's not going in a lot. Had a stretch in the game where he missed like eleven or thirteen shots in a row from from the field. Guys, uh, Donovan Mitchell, he needs better shot selection. He needs mm-hmm. more moves to help him create space. But guys, he's in his second year. Yeah, like not, like <laughs> not very many people are big-time playoff performers on their rookie contract. I think I often mention, like, Dwayne Wade's kind of the exception to that rule. He he made it happen in his in his third season. Yeah, that's... Everybody else, like, relax. It's it's very hard to do. Yeah, like, you go back... I mean, you go back and look at some of the most famous players, and, yeah. One of the things I do think about, too... By the way, did the Jazz face the Rockets last year in the playoffs as well? Yep, second round. <sighs> I just – do you think with him – I don't want to take too much. Do you think it's just the Jazz going to go look for more offensive help for him, for Donovan Mitchell? He feels like I have to carry the scoring load, or it's like he has to be smarter with the ball, like you said, smarter shot selection. I mean, they, they need to surround him with better players that enable mm-hmm. him him to get more space. Like if, 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 if they had three Joe Ingles out there, it, things would work a lot better because mm-hmm. you'd have shooting at every turn. With Rudy Gobert at the rim, but yeah, he does need to improve his shot selection. He goes to the scoop layup, which is is an effective counter move. But oh, I think yeah. I think he goes to it too much. It's it's very hard to make, and you're not likely to get fouled on it because you uh, you did the most to avoid contact. Mm-hmm. Um, he also like does that he, he does a euro step where then he leans back and like tries to do a floater. And I I think once you get to that point, you need to go into the body and then extend away. Not avoid all the contact. Like it's, it's, it's he's got some CJ McCollum tendencies in terms of what he does when it's time to shoot, and he avoids a lot of contact. Um, when you're as athletic as he is, he's way more like. I mean, he's he's shorter, I think, than CJ, but he's like he's he's built, he's stout. You need to go yeah. into the body and, and try to extend after the fact. You know, catch an arm. You know, do get some James Harden dark arts where you're pinning <laughs> on elbows and then throwing stuff up. Like you just got to do that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. all, and until until he learns that stuff, which he's again, he's in his second year. season, it's not a big deal. He's gonna be fine. Like m- most guys, is, most guys can't be the best player on a on a playoff team as a second year player. Definitely, I get you. All right, ready to move on. Talk about yeah. East again. Here we go. Well, I don't have anything about the series. I don't care at, at this point. I, I think Philadelphia has it in hand. Um, but I want to mention that Joel Embiid's not funny. 
He's not funny. He's not athlete funny. Blake Griffin, athlete funny. I, 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 if 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 Joel Embiid was um, let's let's pick a name that everyone's familiar with. If he was if he was named Kwame Brown and this good, everyone would be like, "Oh, Kwame Brown's a great player. He's he's just a really good basketball player." But they they would clown him for the stuff he says in post games. Yeah. So keep that in mind. He's not funny. As as. It's frustrating because everyone like la- la- just jumps on this guy and's like, "Oh, he's so funny! Yeah, he's trolling the Warriors." Huh? That was a really bad joke. It wasn't funny at all. I think I'm I think frustrated after, by this, Elkin. I think after a while, I can tell that you've been frustrated by like him just saying this stuff, and you're like, "Can we get off of him?" It seems like we say it too much. Well, can he be funny? <laughs> you know, like can you, can you make a good joke? Can you? Again, it just comes down to. Like, it's 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 you know tough to say like if if he was just you know a, a normal black guy not an African black guy I think we'd have it we'd have a different opinion on what what levels of funny are we right like there's a different I guess a sliding scale because he's got an accent. Yeah, I think people just kind of see like oh guys talking and he's just saying stuff. But I have heard your sentiments before where some people are like Joel and Bean, like can you stop just saying all this stuff? Like at first it was kind of just like all right. This is different, but then now it's like, okay, you kind of do the same routine over and over again. I think it's one thing to be like, you know, clowning Andre Drummond or Hassan Whiteside, who you are, you clearly have won a matchup with. Like you've, you've beaten them. You've, you know, slain them for whatever, like whatever you want to say about them. But like mm-hmm. you're comparing yourself to the Warriors in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. True. It's, 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 there's not even context for that joke. It's just bad. Not funny. Boo. Anyway, that's I'm done with that. Elkin, I have a great idea for you. This is right. the, I am going to fix officiating in basketball everywhere. Go ahead. Lead me to the promised land. So I want to propose that players and referees can gamble with each other. Go on. So if I think you made a bad call. Mm-hmm. I can bet you as many specific curse words that I want. You know, if, if you're an mf guy, if you're a G-dang-it kind of guy, you can bet whatever you want. But I can walk up to Scott Foster and say, that wasn't a charge. I bet you, you have to review this. I bet you three MFers that that was wrong. And Scott Foster at that point, I can say, I will look at it. I will let you know. But if he's confident, he can he can take that bet. And then that's, that's a technical on on the spot. Wow! So you All either right. have to if you're a ref and you're confident in your call, you can take that bet, go review it, or like have you know have someone in Secaucus review it, and then just at the next dead ball. Oh, hey, by the way, Scott Foster was right. That was a charge. Um, Demar Derozan technical, and it, it doesn't need a it doesn't need to like affect him to get kicked out of the game, but it needs to like have a negative effect so people will be just a little bit more hesitant to jump down people's throats. Because like as much as I like the passion, I want people to express themselves and definitely like get like have a conversation and a dialogue. But you know, referees get disrespected. I don't blame them for shutting down and saying no. I'm not talking to you. I'm done. I don't blame them because they got to keep stay composed in front of you know thirty thousand screaming fans at them. Not to mention the ten guys on the floor and the bench. So I don't blame them for getting sensitive about it. Understandable. But, you know, if you want to, if you want to take that bet that you were right and that it's reviewed and you were wrong, 
you have to take that. You got to take those MFers from DeMar DeRozan as you deserve. Ooh. You you don't maybe have to take a ball to the face like DeMar DeRozan might have tried to do, but you got to be willing to take the take the take the call. Uh, I mean, so I, what's what's the flaw with this uh, with this plan? Oh man, I don't know if the league will. I don't know if we'll make it as viewer friendly. That probably one of your biggest issues if a guy says I'm allowed to say these words. <laughs> I think a lot of TV companies will say, uh, "Wait a minute, we don't want to get fined." We don't want to get a fine for this, uh, for FCC every time this happens. No, but I get what you mean. But like, I feel like something has to be done when it comes to complaining about a call. Just what can a player say? What can't they say? Cause, and referees are human. So there's some refs where you and I have seen it. Some refs, he'll listen to the player or coach, let them say whatever they want. As long as they don't say anything like too bad, they'll let them cuss and everything. And the rest will be like, all right, either you got a good point or right. Nope, you're still not right. Just keep it moving. But then there's some refs, like, as soon as you say one thing or even a glance, it's like technical foul. They're like, you can't even get mad about a call, technical foul. And anyone who's played with, with a ref, mm-hmm. you know, if, even if it's intramurals in college, like, mm-hmm. you have a guy who makes a bad call or what you deem is a bad call, and you get really upset about it, especially when, like, if you if you take pride in playing defense without fouling, you know, and, and you're still being an irritant to some degree. But, like, it's just one of those things. Like, think about Draymond Green, right? Like, if he makes these gambles, he could maybe build up a nice little bankroll of all these MFers that he could save for the finals. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he can do whatever he wants in the finals. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's obviously not something that's going to happen that would ever be something considered. Yeah. Even. But it's – I you think if, you know, James Harden complained enough times and every time he had, his team lost a point because he was actually wrong, Maybe true. maybe he'd stop complaining a little bit, you know. True, true, true. Or if he got the payoff that he could, you know, say whatever he wants to the ref for the rest of the game, that might he might think it's worth the risk too. Like it, I I honestly think it would it would be a, a nice little dynamic, and they should try it out in the uh, in the G League. Hmm. I don't know, man. I just don't know. I just. That's what I was thinking about when I was watching some of the the, the floptastic stuff of um of that Utah um Houston game towards the end of the game. It just you get you get to a point where you, you're both frustrated that you're not getting the call you think you deserve, and we both start embellishing. And you got to go for it. You got if you can trick them, you can trick them, and get your get your free throws, get your possession back, whatever you gotta do. <laughs> I get it. I understand why people do it. I just it just yeah. it's just aesthetically not mm-hmm. not ideal. No oh, man, I know what you're saying. All right, okay. You gotta get to that Pacers game. You gotta watch them get eliminated today. Uh they were already down eight zero to begin the game. That's exciting. Oh boy. It's gonna be a rough day. Okay. Anyways, nice pot in Ethan. It's good to be back on the pod. Yeah. And we got a fun day of basketball ahead. That's what gets me most excited. Let's see. See y'all later. All right. And I'm back. Well, we're back. The Hero Wall Podcast is back, and now it's Richard Davidson's turn to join me. Richard, now all the games of Sunday are over, and it's been a fun day for me. Richard, how have you been? I've been I've been good, Ethan. Um, you know, it's with all these games, like they kind of ran 
as people you know would have expected. And so, you know, I was watching, tuning in, tuning out, just because it's like you already have an assumption about what's happening, what's occurring. And yes, there are things to learn. However, today was just one of those days. It's a Sunday, and I'm a teacher. And so sometimes you got to get things done and multitask. But overall, you know, pretty good, pretty good day. Yep. No, and happy Easter for all you out happy there. Easter, indeed. Yeah. Enjoy. I hope you all enjoyed the holiday. You know, it's definitely something. So, with that in mind, Richard, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop off to some headlines that I, I'm enjoying enjoying making. Um, so this is the Sunday Hero Ball headlines. Pacers pushed. Ah, uh, that was a horrible. I'm gonna. We're keeping this in, but that was just a terrible. <laughs> Terrible tongue twister I put myself into. The Pacers push down and out of the playoffs. Celtics advance. SGA greater than SC30. Still loses. Kawhi is the best player in the East. Dane drops the baby. Russ. CJ carries the day. So, yeah, not not a great set of headlines for the day. But I wanted to, you know, with all those Russ rocking the baby things, I wanted Dame to rock the baby and drop drop Russ because man I've never seen a more hero ballistic player uh than Russ Russell Westbrook when uh when he just wants to shoot and I I think I told you Richard when I watched the Thunder play live this year that Russell Westbrook's just not a great great athlete anymore and watching him go into Enos Cantor and get blocked several times today just reminded me that I saw that this year and thought that this year well now, now Ethan let me just ask you this question so is it just the fact that he's not as great of an athlete as he was? Because Russ, like when you thought of athlete in the NBA, like Russ was darn near the top of your list. Is it that he's just not as much of it? Maybe he's a certain percentage of what he was, or is it just that he is now, when you compare him to other NBA players, below average? Like what is, what is your take on that? Well, he's, he's still above average to the, to the average guy. But the thing about Russ is his his athleticism gave him the separation. He's never been like a creative finisher. Like you won't see a Kyrie esque finish from Russell Westbrook. If I, I think I think you could comb the entire Russell Westbrook archive, and you will not find a Kyrie esque finish in his career. That's not his game. He doesn't play with any finesse. It's all power. It's all raw. I will jump over you through you. Power. And mm-hmm. with that in mind, it's hard to avoid those big guys at the rim. Yeah, I mean, he's still he's still awesome in transition. Like uh, yeah. a number of the buckets that he'll get, um, he gets because he's able to get the board, push in transition, and you know, beat beat the other team. So he still still has like that athleticism. Uh, it's just when you're in the half court set, and you're trying to beat these guys and get the angles, get the separation that you need to in order to be able to make these shots. Maybe you're not able to get quite as much as you used to, and. Um, and you know, that's tough. It is tough, but, um, you know, it's not necessarily unexpected. It is a little bit unexpected that the blades are still playing as well as they are. Um, but you know, typically Russ led teams have found themselves in a situation come playoff time. Do you think that's because the team, the the other teams can, can scheme for Russ in a really particular way in, in, in this series? That paired with Paul, you know, Paul George being injured and not being as effective as maybe he could be, mm-hmm. uh, still very good. But you know, maybe there's maybe those those are the kind of two things that have led to what we we're seeing in this series. Well, see, Russell Westbrook does it give you a di- uh, a dilemma when he comes off a, a pick and roll? 
like you can drop because if he walks into a mid range shot, okay, that's that's a decent option, but not not the best option. He had missed a lot of those today. Yeah, um, you can definitely go under the screen if you're the 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 um the the, the guard because he's no threat from three. He might make some like he did a couple games ago or two games ago in game three of this series, but he's not going to kill you. And honestly, like I said, without the finesse part of his game, which he's never developed, you can drop your big all the way to the the charge circle and just say, go straight up. He's probably going to throw it into your arms or hard off the backboard. So he, it's just, it's okay. Unless he um, changes up how he plays, we're not going to, I just don't think we're going to see a dominant Russell Westbrook in the way that we've seen him in the past. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like you're able to scheme for him. He will take the, his threes. Like he took, uh, what was it, like seven today. Seven to right? nine. So like he'll he'll take them, and and because of the pure volume, he will he will make some. But still, you're under like thirty percent. That's not cutting it. That's not gonna. It's not gonna work yeah. in today's NBA. And this has been a source of you know of issue all year long for OKC. Their offense has consistently let them down, especially if Paul George is not being otherworldly. And and so this is just the situation that they find themselves, you know, scoring 98 points. And if the defense, you know, can't hold up, then, well, it's going to end up in a lot of losses. Yep, and that's where we're at. But I, we weren't even planning on talking about this. It's we just, weren't. This is what happens. Now, um, by the way, CJ, though, CJ's been – nice oh yeah so it's, nice it's been it's been i'm glad that he was able to recover over the last part of the season to be able to to be this goodness effective um in the playoffs especially against a good this this is a good defensive team in the thunder granted they are suffering some injuries from probably probably steven adams and paul george so you know but still glad to see him uh playing well yes well let's get to the the topic du jour um of this I, I said in the headlines that Kawhi is the best player in the East. And obviously <sighs> that should come with a lot of pushback because there's a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo in the yep. East. Yep. So, Richard, I want to ask you, what about Giannis, um, what about him is, has been so special this year? Well, I mean, the the f- what needs to be said is it's not just Giannis. It's within the context of how they've set up this entire team. Uh, if, if you were to have a, a different type of team, if you didn't go out and get Brooke Lopez, didn't go out and get Miritich, and didn't make it so that you have four shooters around Giannis, then perhaps Giannis is not quite as effective offensively because then you're able to send double teams, send help from everywhere else. But literally everyone that they throw out can shoot. Everyone they can throw out can shoot except for Giannis. And and so with the way that the Pistons have handled him, we've just tried dropping. But still, he's able to, if you drop too much, too quickly, he'll Eurostep around you and finish the basket. He's so long, you can't do a whole lot about it. And it just the rest of the team has made guarding him really a, really a tough, if not impossible, task. Um, I mean, the he was held to uh, by far his fewest of 
uh, the playoffs. I think that he didn't score um, in in the first quarter, which I think didn't happen very frequently for for them. This this I think it was the second time all year that that happened. Um, and you know, Blake Griffin did a pretty good job, but it didn't really matter because they would get their scoring from other places. And even if he wasn't the primary source of scoring, it, it what he does in his presence just allow for everything else to open up offensively on, on the floor. And so, uh, you know, people have compared him this season to a Shaq. Yeah. He's been as dominant near the rim as Shaq has been. He's not, you know, he's not as strong or as huge as Shaq. And you're probably not feeling quite as much pain if he, you know, um, puts his butt on you and, and, and drives you in towards a stanchion, but he is getting those at the rim looks that Shaq is, but he's also incredibly, quick got the long strides and he starts out from the perimeter so it it just allows for him to be able to gain ahead of speed and if you play it wrong if you don't send enough help then he'll beat you but if you do he's got shooters out there to to mask up for it and defensively you know he's no slouch either no he's definitely not now everything you said is right richard uh Giannis has the perfect scheme around him he has got a great coach who you underrated criminally when the acquisition was made. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. I think I also like I think I underrated him and like going back, I underrated Coach Bud. Sorry, Coach Bud. We we already like I think we might have said that in our initial sorry, not sorry podcast. Oh, it was. Like, yeah. Like way back beforehand. Like I think we immediately I immediately got that out. Um so sorry there. But <laughs> like I not only that. We thought that Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty were bad. We did not. Like, we yeah. thought that they were very, very bad, the worst coaching duo in the league, and we still were too generous. Let's just say that. Yeah. No, we were we were definitely not critical enough. It's sometimes hard to, like, know how bad coaches are, especially when, you know, we're amateurs at this. As much as we, you know, think or, or know we know about basketball, like, we, we definitely don't have, a, a, have the pulse of the nation and know exactly what, um, teams need to do for adjustments. We just have thoughts and theories for the most part. But, like, ultimately, you had to know that giving up court, a lot of corner threes um, and threes in general, which was the Bucks' defense under Jason Kidd and Joe Pronte, was probably not the way to go. Yeah, probably not. Um, that that being said, Ethan, why why would you say Kawhi is better than him? Well, let me tell you, Richard. From the way I see it, Kawhi is the best one-on-one defender in basketball. I look at it, and I see I see Kawhi as being an elite offensive option in isolation, better than Giannis. I don't think you can put Andre Drummond on Kawhi Leonard, and it works. I think it can work for Giannis on Tukubo. I don't think you can put anyone on Kawhi Leonard, and it actually works. I think there are options to slow down Giannis. Obviously, he's, he's, he's a bit more system-dependent than one Kawhi Leonard. I would say Kawhi ha- is, you know, the one the one knock I will say is Kawhi um, doesn't play as many games and does not, like, rebound or assist as much. He, he definitely is in the, in the mold of a traditional go-to scorer of, you know, more like the mid-2000s. Here's the thing, though. Like, we, you know, you talk about, you know, you you couldn't guard Kawhi with, with a traditional center. And honestly, like we'll talk about this later, but Andre Drummond is not, in my opinion, a traditional center, like a center. But the fact that we had no other option than to completely change our defense, like facing this Bucks team, 
caused us for the first time all year, Ethan, to play a whole lot of zone defense. Like we had never played it throughout the entire regular season. And we were forced to do that because we had no other option. Um, the moment Andre Drummond stepped off the floor. We also, um, it, because not only that, but also him at the game one being pulled out way, way to guard Brooke Lopez. And, and then having Drummond be our primary defender in game two on Giannis, like we're totally shifting everything that we've done all because of Giannis being the incredibly unique player. If we were to have played Toronto, we beat Toronto three times, obviously regular season. One of those times Kawhi was sitting, but we did beat them a few times when Kawhi was present and we didn't have to change our defense in ridiculous ways. Obviously there are things you do differently from game to game and from opponent to opponent, but it wasn't nearly as ridiculous as what we've had to do to try to stop Giannis in the Bucks. No, and thank you for making this about what the Pistons did. I of was course, really using using Drummond as a person who I think as a center is a pretty good defensive player. And I was just trying to say, well, you know, hypothetically, he can guard Giannis where he, he can't guard Kawhi. I'm talking about the versatility of scoring options, the plug-and-play uh, aspect of Kawhi. If Kawhi plays on any team in the league. You could surround him with – you could put him on the Pistons with Ish Smith and the bench lineup, and Kawhi is going to be able to work. Giannis is neutralized by his play, uh, surrounding talent. Um, and to, that, to, to be fair, any wing you put on the Pistons will immediately improve everything there. Like, we have no wings, so I don't know if that's a fair – like, we shouldn't talk about the Pistons there. <laughs> the, the point is, Richard, Kawhi is the – like, he's much in the way Kevin Durant is, I think, the best player in the NBA right now. He 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 could not you cannot put him in a situation in which he won't succeed, and I think that is inherently incredibly valuable. I think that we feel like that just because he does have the ability to shoot a whole lot more than Giannis. I feel like that's the reason why we're saying that. But wow. I mean, you need to you need to consider. It's like we're making the argument here of like comparing if you want to go back in in history, like to a you know, who's better, Kobe or Shaq? It's like they are different players, even though you don't necessarily think of it that way because, oh, Giannis is a guy who starts off the perimeter. He's long. He's a forward. He's like he the way that he plays is just so different, so unique that comparing them and talking about like fit with uh, within every, any team is, I think, a bad argument here because of the weird way that Giannis is. Yes, Kawhi can fit onto nearly every team, but Giannis transforms your team into something completely different, uh, something completely unique. And I mean, to be frank, we've, we've, I mean, again, going out of the business, we've stood no chance. I think that against Toronto, we, we would look a whole lot better, honestly. Okay. So let's, let's, you know, do the inverse then. How would the magic look against against the Bucks because the Magic have Aaron Gordon, they have Jonathan Isaac. They actually have those wing defenders that can get in the way of a a Giannis Antetokounmpo theoretically. That he get destroyed. I agree. He's completely obliterated. And I, th- I and I think the th- same thing would happen to the Pistons. Like we're, we're, we're at this we, point we, 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 we're, 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 we're taking well. we're taking very bad teams and we're asking what would what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think the overall point, though, because if you can go ahead and ask me, Richard, who who do you want, Shaq or Kobe? And I, I can tell you exactly who I'll take, regardless of situation. Who? I'll take Shaq every time. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Shaq, engage Shaq, wins championships all the time. Engage Kobe does as well, if he has a Balgasol. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. In, in the era before super teams were like a thing, uh-huh. he had Pau Gasol and a legit Andrew Bynum and yeah. Lamar Odom, Ron Artest defensive stopper. Like, yikes. That is a lot of the good players. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ron Artest, yeah. I at the same time, like that. Defensive that's... stopper. I didn't I didn't say anything else, Richard. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, I just for, for me, um, so I agree. I pick Shaq. I, I just for me, I think, and maybe it's because I have been seeing more of Giannis this year, not only because we're playing him in the playoffs, but also we've we just seen him more. Kawhi yeah. has decided to take in the along with the um, you know, acquiescence of the Raptors to sit games, have those load management games. In all honesty, Ethan. Like we just need the conference finals to get here so that we can actually see the matchup. Like that's what we need. Yeah, no, no doubt. Let's run through some numbers. Um, true shooting wise, Giannis takes that cake. Um, sixty-four percent true shooting to Kawhi's sixty uh, percent, but both both really good. Um, Giannis has a higher assist percentage, also a higher turnover percentage. I think those things are very you know much related, yeah. as as one would imagine. Um, Let's see. What else can we compare to these guys? Giannis, better rebounder, you know, per, per his position. That, that makes a lot of sense. Usage, about the same. Giannis is getting two more percent, and that's that's significant because, remember, uh, listeners, assist getting assists does not contri- uh, contribute to the usage percentage. Just saying. Yeah. So, anyway, um, going on, uh, I'm going to look at per 100 possessions. So, let's really take a look at that. Giannis is beating Kawhi out in scoring. He's at uh, 39 points per 100 possessions. Kawhi's at 37. Um, and field goal percentages, really threes are the only thing that Kawhi, Kawhi has in it. Well, offensively, I mean, you look, you begin to look, you begin to look defensively and uh, you know, you look at things like uh, steals and blocks per hundred possessions. You know, Giannis is there at about uh, just under one and a half steals uh, where Kawhi, is going to be let's see real quick i think he's just a he's at about two and a half um, per 100 possessions per 100 possessions and and i'll make the argument that steel you know granted Giannis is definitely going to have the the um you know he's gonna be above him in blocks like we like half a block about for Kawhi comparatively to Giannis, who's going to have just over one and a half blocks per game. But in my estimation, steals are a much more valuable valuable uh, statistic than blocks are just because it means that you have possession. You have taken over possession. And a lot of times when a steal takes place, it allows for incredibly easier transition baskets, transition points. And so I think that a steal is, and there's research and statistics done about this um, where it leads to a higher number of expected points than a block will because you're blocking someone. A lot of times, if people like took the the um, the approach that a uh, Bill Russell 
did where it's like you go up a block, but you just like instead of just swatting out of bounds, you just come down with the ball and now it's yours. Like then that's different, but no one does that because no. when you block someone, you want it to look nice. You want it to look pretty, just like how people who are bad at shooting free throws should shoot underhand because they will statistically make more. Um, like the trajectory angles of things are just better, especially if you're just a bad free throw shooter, but they won't do it because they look like a sissy according to like, that's just the general like vibe behind it. When in reality it would like, it would probably take courage, but you'd be better off for it. And so, yeah. Well, and I mean, as, as someone who like for, for rec, for rec league size and, you know, translate that to our thing, like I, I get a lot of block shots and it's really hard to come down with the ball. Yeah. It really is because, like, you got to get up there and you got to make contact enough that it affects the shot. They don't just gather and shoot again. And also then to keep it in bounds. Like, it, it's, it's definitely a hard thing to balance. And with the exceptional strength that these NBA players and the speed that they're playing at, it's even more difficult. Yeah, and, and to be fair, like, a lot of these guys are reaching up one-handed. Um, and, yep. and so, you know, to be able to get that extra those extra few inches of extension um, – but just the point is you don't necessarily get possession after yeah. blocks and uh, generally goes to the other team. Um, it's nice. It also provides some deterrence at the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people, you know, end up taking more mid range shots than they would if that, you know, defender wasn't there. But so, so, so like defensively um, for me, it's a little bit of a wash because Giannis does give you both of those things. It's just yeah. that Kawhi is just, Specifically, he he, he is the elite. He is the on ball on ball god. He is. So, um, to admit something, Richard, I don't think Kawhi is better than Giannis. I think it's just let's see, let's take a look, let's see what happens when it comes time uh, for the Eastern Conference Finals. Assuming both of these teams make it. Yeah. Now, see, I, I wanted to admit that, but I want to have the I want to make the argument because if you're telling me, you know, that it's in it's the game seven of the conference finals, and it, there's two minutes to go, I think I'd want to ride with Kawhi's team in that situation. Like, I think in the small sample size of the moment, I want the guy who can get shots from everywhere. And in that case, there's also free throws you got to factor in because yeah. that, that is not Giannis's strength and. Uh, especially at the end of a game like that, um, where Giannis is probably attacking the rim, like that's where he's trying to get points. If he's going to be the one to do it, uh, I'm sorry. If you're Toronto, you're not letting him have those. You are you are fouling. You're fouling him hard, and you're making him earn it from the line. And while you know Giannis is not awful at uh, free throws, he's shooting um, you know seventy seventy three percent, not bad, but he's not nearly. Uh, to the level that Kawhi Leonard is with about 10%, over 10% higher. So yeah. there's just an extra little wrinkle to to think about. Yeah. So it's like, it's one of those things, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta weigh all the options, so to Indeed. speak. And yeah, you know, like I honestly do think like based on age, if like you said, you gotta start a franchise tomorrow, I'd, I'd go with Giannis because then you can build out the perfect roster around him. Mm-hmm. But you know, like Kawhi Leonard, dude, he he he's that dude, and you know, people are, are getting uh, to remember that after his uh, performance today. Yeah, it, I think just this year, um, being in Toronto, in Canada, and mm-hmm. the fact that you are just taking um, all these days off, uh, I, I just think that you know you tend to be overlooked or forgotten, and people end up taking the well, let's just wait and see to the playoffs kind of approach. 
Yeah, you know, I, I just came, yeah, I just came across an uh, interesting stat, Richard, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of actually, um, um, I don't like it. Um, the the Pistons have gotten Giannis per hundred possessions to take six and a half threes, uh, per hundred possessions. Yeah. Where, where Kawhi is taking seven point seven per hundred possessions in the playoffs as well. I think that is, you know, honestly, like the, probably the the biggest, um, like. A pr- praise I can give the Pistons in this uh, so far in their playoffs is the fact that if Giannis is pulling threes at four, um, and I'm looking at per game, mm-hmm. it's um, three three point seven a game. Like, okay, you guys did something right in that one s- situation. Well, I mean, we've we've actively in you know having Drummond on him really helps in this regard. We've actively taken the approach, Giannis. We are going to give you give you wide open threes. Like the first mm-hmm. game I th- he shot f- was it five and he made one of them. Um, but uh, Drummond each time, you know, every time he shot it and Thon tried to kind of pick it up a little bit, didn't really work, you know, because he was getting, kept getting swatted by and dunked on by Giannis. But, um, you know, just kind of like waving and saying, I ah, go ahead and shoot it. And he bricked a bunch of them. We kind of goaded him into that. And you began to see in game two where he still had a few of those. Um, but he would, I think that, you know, he, coach got into his ear like you know what why don't you just take a few steps in because they're really playing off of you and you can take your time look at the rim imagine happy thoughts and follow through and you know he did do a little bit of of that but if you're the pistons you are a thousand percent living with Giannis taking shots from beyond 15 feet as opposed to within um you know five feet so that is that's a win if you're the Pistons um, strategically. Yep, I agree, and it's it's been you know that's kudos to you guys in that that one small regard. Thank you. All right, my man, um, we've set you up for this. Yeah. So, listeners, I apologize in advance, but Richard, we are going to give you the last time to opine about your your Detroit Pistons because I'm going to go ahead and tell you that you guys are done after tomorrow night. Yeah. And we're not going to podcast about it. Probably we're not, not. going to do it. We might have a moment where I just uh, have literally like 30 seconds just to be sad on the pod, and then we're then moving on after that. So, yeah, uh, this is going to be the last time that I speak about the Pistons, probably until we think about things come draft day or in free agency, um, mm-hmm. or unless some ridiculous curse. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a moment to have like uh, like a, a hero a hero ball an ISO moment where it's just going to be me talking trying to convince uh, Ethan I'm going to be giving Ethan the case for and against Andre Drummond. Let me tell you, Ethan, uh, in Pistons Twitter, um, the especially after Game Three, but even leading up to Game Three, uh, Andre Drummond is the most polarizing player on the Detroit Pistons. Um, and there are legitimately only two crowds. There are the anti-Drummond crowd who will literally focus on body language, efforts, like tweets after games, and and they will like really harp on that and talk about how he's not a leader, how he's lazy. He, um, you're never going to be able to win anything with Drummond, and that he is, you know, severely overpaid, and just the fact and. A lot of it goes to you see this over and over and over again the the word effort and people don't think that he gives effort people don't think that he tries hard enough if you are in the anti anti Andre crowd but then there's the pro Andre crowd and the pro Andre crowd sees him as a productive but flawed player um you know he is not Anthony Davis he is Andre Drummond 
he has uh and they see him as the player as the reason why the pistons are in the playoffs which is maybe why the anti-drummond crowd doesn't like him because they wanted to tank but second half of the season he went on a tear he was awesome he was the reason why the pistons made it especially with blake um you know not being as effective beginning to suffer from his knee injury down the stretch of the season andre drummond was awesome so i'm going to give you ethan the case for andre drummond i'm going to follow it up with the case against andre drummond and then um my own personal conclusions and then we'll see what you think ethan sound okay yeah i'm here for it all right so um number one on the case for andre drummond is rebounding ethan um let me let me just tell you this is a true factual statement andre drummond is literally the best rebounder in nba history literally per basketball reference andre has literally the highest rebound percentage in nba history at 24.36 percent it is the highest now it may not be the highest per game because if you look at like the list on basketball reference of highest per game you're gonna see um, a bunch of guys who played in the 60s when the pace was ridiculous and there was just that many more um, uh, three-point or that many more attempts. And so naturally there'll be more rebounds to be had um, far more than even the pace that we're at now where we're pace has been increasing. But Andre Drummond has the highest rebound percentage um, in the history of the league as well as defensive rebounding um, percentage. He is second um, in all time for offensive rebounding percentage to Dennis Rodman by not that much. Um, but he is, um, he is still the current best offensive rebounder in the entire league. Ethan. Now uh, you may not think that rebounding is that big of a deal. And maybe you don't really care about defensive rebounding teams have really gone away from crashing the offensive glass in favor of transition defense. Uh, that's been a thing that ever since um, the Spurs, Greg Pop. Greg Popovich, especially when they were making their title runs, it's something he really emphasized. And it's a copycat league, Ethan. So a lot of people went and and took that. And so literally teams will not go for offensive rebounds. So maybe the defensive rebounding numbers aren't as impressive. But Ethan, the offensive rebounding numbers, if that's the case, that means that they the offensive rebound has become underrated then in the NBA, Ethan. People are not caring about it. And teams are able to, uh, to, to you know, defensively rebound a whole lot better. Andre Drummond brings the best offensive rebounding in the league at a time where people don't care about it. Don't take it from me. Like Zach Lowe wrote a piece in 2016 where he suggested, he literally used Andre Drummond as the example, says the ideal scenario is probably to have one big guy who's unstoppable on the offensive glass, who is single-handedly in charge of offensive rebounding, and the other four guys can get back and work on transition defense. He says Andre Drummond is the archetype. Um, and, and so having Drummond is an incredible asset that can be deployed. If you are the Pistons, the problem is again, it requires, you know, other guys as well. The other four guys, um, and a lot of that scheme, but, uh, rebounding is, um, one of the, the main things, one of the main cases you can make for Andre Drummond. Another one is rim protection. And now I know, Ethan, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking rim protection. I mean, he's not in the same category as maybe, let's say, a Rudy Gobert or an Anthony Davis. And, you know, while this is true, I mean, he's all he's never been involved in any uh, you know, all defensive team discussion or defensive player of the year. Like he's made it like 10th on so those voting um, like on for uh, defensive player of the year. And he's gotten like 
three votes for uh, like defensive all all team, even some of his best years. But Ethan, the Pistons, do you know? You want to take a guess as to where they ranked in their defensive rating this year? while having literally no positive defenders outside of Andre Drummond. And if we want to include Bruce Brown as a rookie, as a slightly positive defender, so be it. Where do you think we ranked? 22nd. We ranked 11th in defensive rating. Mm-hmm. Ahead of teams like the like the Warriors and, and the Sixers who have Joel Embiid as, as their rim protector, right? So literally having no one else on the team that is a positive you know, defensive player. We got rid of the only ones that were really positive, like Stanley Johnson. He was one of our only positive ones. He was just so bad in offense that we just got rid of him. Um, same thing with uh, Reggie Bullock. He was positive, although he was kind of playing out of position as like our three instead of our uh, two, where he would be better defensively. Point is, Ethan, that he anchored our defense when it was basically a conga line to the basket the entire year. And so he got he averaged he finished with uh 1.7 blocks per game behind guy you know Miles Turner 2.7 Rudy Gobert 2.4 um and, and so while you know rim protection we emphasize it and we look to those guys and say well those are the guys Miles Turner Rudy Gobert those are the ones that are really providing defensive value those are the guys that are going to get those votes uh because of the emphasis that's put on shots at the rim or in three point shooting like those are the emphases of today's NBA game, and so it's good to have rim protection. Andre Drummond still provides it. He just does not happen to have the likes of Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio, or you know, other perimeter defenders like Victor Oladipo while he was gone for you know, some of the year, or like Thaddeus Young. He doesn't have those guys. He doesn't have any of those mm-hmm. defenders. He has Langston Galloway. He has Reggie Jackson, Ish Smith. Uh, he, You can go down. Uh, Blake Griffin has not been good on defense. He just doesn't move sometimes. He takes charges. Takes charges. That's what he does. He takes charges. That is his. That's what he does defensively. But uh, overall, not not very good either. We don't have anyone. No positive defenders outside of of Bruce Brown. He's really he's really it for us. And he's a rookie, Ethan. Um, and so I think that if you were to surround Andre Drummond with better defenders, uh, which you know, the front office really, they just came in. They don't, they've not had the opportunity yet. I think that you would see those numbers improve and people might talk about Andre Drummond a bit, a bit more, a bit more highly than, than they do now. Um, and the last case I want to make for Andre Drummond is just being a vers- versatile defender perimeter and uh, being able to, I'm going to you know pull out what he's done against Giannis in this series and how, how good he's been um, against you know, someone that is just been unstoppable all year long. Um, one thing that uh, Drummond does provide more than Miles Turner, more than Rudy Gobert, is steals. And Ethan, we talked about steals earlier on and how they are uh, underrated, uh, especially I think criminally underrated from the center position. People don't care about steals. He averages 1.7 steals per game. I'm sorry, not, uh, yeah, per per game this year, higher than. Turner or Gobert, who are both at like 0.8. Again, he's one of those guys on the perimeter, um, poking balls loose, um, being his own one-man transition offense team because he can he can handle the ball, you know, enough in the open court. Uh, he's not like those other guys, and he's athletic enough to handle that. Ethan, there are only three centers in NBA history who have more steals and blocks um, uh, per per game than Andre Drummond. You want to know who they are? 
Um, Dwight Howard. Nope. Doesn't get the steals. I, didn't, I was just thinking. All right. Yeah. I want uh, Alonzo Mourning. Does he get any steals? Nope. Okay. I'm done. Anthony Davis. Fair okay. enough. I wasn't thinking him as a center, but that, that's a good okay. point. He's a so, center. It's fair. He's he should, ideally should play center. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon. Makes sense, but he, he, he was a small guy, only 6'9". Mm-hmm. And this is his career. And then uh, David Robinson. Wow. David Robinson, I wouldn't have guessed mm-hmm. at all. How about Those, Tim Duncan? Where's Tim Duncan at in this Um, I, I have to go back and look. I don't have Tim that. Duncan. Up. Um, I'll find he him. probably has more uh, more blocks per game, but not uh, not steals. I don't think Tim he has Duncan any steals. Tim Duncan is at .7 for his career. Yeah. So, 2.2 blocks. So – and the, the thing is, like Andre Drummond, you would expect him to like continue to expand upon it, upon those steel numbers, and in my opinion, also the block numbers, because I think that when I think that the front office is going to begin to surround him with some better perimeter defenders. Um, so we'll we'll have to see about that. Uh, and yes, Giannis, I don't we don't I don't think it really qualify him as a perimeter defender. Uh, he, he you know we make the consideration that he's kind of like Shaq, right? He he's but he's unlike Shaq in that he's not going and just saying, let me post you up right at the beginning. He's starting out at the perimeter and he's charging the rim. Andre Drummond has held his own and has done a solid job defending him, forcing him into those long threes, uh, into those perimeter shots, has uh forced a few turnovers even at, as he's been at the rim uh and has forced him into some difficult shots at the rim, some of which he's made because he's Giannis. But Overall, Drummond has demonstrated his ability to be to guard a whole lot of different people and guard out of positions that Rudy Gobert and uh, you know, like he's like the main guy who will think of probably you know could win Defensive Player of the Year again. Like he's not getting out on those things. He's not impacting um, the game in that way. And so I think that Drummond can have a greater impact in a, in a stronger variety of ways, uh, more so than other centers not named Anthony Davis. So that, that's the case for him. Let me give you the case against him. Okay. Can I can I mention sure. a couple things real quick? Go ahead. So I was um I was just curious because I have a I have a frustrating big man myself on my team. Yeah. And um Hassan Whiteside. Um, for the career, has a higher defensive rebounding percentage than mm-hmm. than Andre Drummond. Yep, and a higher um, is it marginally higher? Yeah, by by point one higher total rebounding um, percentage. But you are right about Andre Drummond. He is like the, an incredible offensive rebounder. He, uh, he's at sixteen point five percent of offensive rebounds for his career. Uh, Hassan is at fourteen point one, and only and Hassan for the record has only. Uh, eclipsed 16, which is Andre Drummond's career. Uh, he's only eclipsed that one time, and it was this season, and which you know it is impressive, but nevertheless is not Andre Drummond low. So I wanted I wanted to point that out that you know there are guys out here who I think could rival him out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hassan Whiteside is the mm-hmm. easy classic example of if you want if you want to give something for Pistons fans to complain or to stop complaining about is you want to say hey look what all these things Andre Drummond does. Well, and they're like, oh, he's got a bad attitude. He doesn't hustle. Well, show him a son Whiteside who puts up some Andre Drummond-esque numbers, but clearly doesn't care. Now, when when you say because you, you said rebound percentage, I don't think that that's the case. You do you mean like just rebounds per game, or I'm saying total rebound percentage. Total rebound percentage. Yeah, it's I... under advanced stats and basketball reference. Hassan is beating him by point one. 
I don't I don't see that. Now we can look, go back and maybe look a little bit later. Um, well, no, I, I don't I have, have. I have it right here. I have it right here as well. So I don't know. We're looking at basketball reference. Get your action together. Um, we can we can talk and chat about that. Um, it's the weirdest thing I've we'll, ever. We'll heard. we'll we'll try to see where where we're where we're going wrong. Uh, where we're not on the same page. Um, so can I can I give you the case against? Yes, case against. I'm okay. ready as as I started it. <laughs> now. With all the stuff that I said about the, the case for Andre Drummond, laziness and effort is not something that I think can use. If, if what you are best at is rebounding and um, being being a versatile defender, those are things that require effort. I You will never see me call Andre Drummond a um, as being lazy. What you do see people do, especially trolls on Twitter, will find a snippet of a game, a possession here or there, because Andre... Um, for whatever reason, gets uh, more like a, a higher amount of these being posted. Like people just want to look for it more. And I just think some like this anti drumming crowd really wants to focus on it. We'll focus in, in, and look at things like the moment where he didn't close out on Brooke Lopez, because guess what? He also has like the Pistons are asking him not to guard Brooke Lopez. They're asking him to guard Brooke Lopez and be a rim protector. And so sometimes you get caught in the middle. You have those moments where it looks bad, but we're if we're focusing in on those things, we are focusing in like on the smallest of sample sizes rather than looking at things as a whole. And so um, while you will never see that, here's where you can have a legitimate argument against Andre Drummond. And I think that they begin and end with how he affects roster construction because with Andre Drummond and the type of big that Andre Drummond represents, bigs in the modern NBA who cannot spread the floor, think Rudy Gobert, you know, think Andre Drummond, th- think those types of guys um, who just do not provide you value in that way. It begins to matter who you put on the floor with them. Um, now, Andre Drummond did try to incorporate the three into his repertoire. Did not happen. After the first three games, it was apparent it was not going to occur. Uh, and so that was, that was it. That was that, uh, you, you, if, so if you have Andre Drummond, if you have a guy like that, you need to have four other shooters on the floor four other guys who are above average or really good. Or maybe it's like three guys who can really shoot it. And one guy who's maybe average, like you need to have, you can't have non shooters out there, um, with, with a guy like him in the modern NBA, you're just not going to be able to have the spacing that you need to operate and be effective. It was and especially when you're pairing Andre with with one Blake Griffin, who likes to operate in the bully ball. Uh, let me get some double teams in the post and kick out to shooters. And that's been a big focus about with, with what the Pistons have done this year. Like that's been their primary source of offense. Blake Griffin doing that. If you don't set a double, then he bully balls and takes your guy to the hole. If you do, he kicks it out. And, you know, our offense kind of works in that way. Having Andre there is, you know, he's just kind of there maybe if, it, for a lob, but I mean that—that's going to be it. He's going to be the guy who gets the offensive board if there's a missed shot and goes back up with it. That's his—that's what his role has been has been limited to on offense within this pairing. Now it has been good that Blake Griffin has been able to expand his, the the floor a little bit, and with him his evolving game and shooting more three pointers at a higher clip, like that's been something that's helpful. And I think that you've seen the Andre Blake pairing as being better than what people might have assumed it would, it would be because of the way that they tend tended to have played before this. 
But from a team building perspective, this is difficult because that means that if you want to be effective on the offense and defensive end, those other three guys outside of Blake and Andre have to be guys who can shoot well and also not be total sieves on defense. And that's hard to come by. The Pistons don't have those guys. Bruce Brown, our best defender, is a zero on offense at the moment. Um, our best guys on offense, the guys who can shoot, Wayne Ellington, uh, Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson even shooting pretty well defensively, they can't bring it. And so it becomes difficult. You need to be able to draft well and bring in players in free agency that can do both of those things. And if you don't, you're not going to have the ability to, to really compete. Like we hit the eighth seed. We're not really competitors. We're not, we're not really involved in the discussion. You need to have um, those other guys on the roster. If you want to be part of that, uh, of that discussion come playoff time. Uh, So that lack of, um, his lack of shooting um, number one kind of makes that an issue. And then just let's ask the question, just positionally, can you have a center who plays like this be someone who makes the max? Now to be fair, Andre Drummond makes like a mini max where it's like the 25% as opposed to Blake is making 30 LeBron and, and those guys are making 35. It's still a substantial amount of money to give to a player where if you cannot maximize what those guys do best, you are you're you're not being efficient, and you're leaving yourself um, you're leaving yourself hanging when it comes to being effective and being a good team. Andre Drummond is good as a role man, but if so, so like Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and rolls, which we did not see a whole lot of this year, um, or even like Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond pick and rolls, like we didn't see those things enough, so he's not able to show what he can do as a role man as much as I think he needs to, if he's making that percentage of the cap. You're also, um, if you have Blake Griffin as who you're running the, the ball through, you're going to want Blake Griffin pick and roll. And that's not Blake Griffin post moves, post uh, post offense, as opposed to Andre Drummond post offense, because Blake is way more effective at scoring, but also passing out of it. Andre Drummond, while a capable passer, uh, he's shown his capable passing as a guy at the top of the key running dribble handoffs, being able to facilitate from that spot where his back is not necessarily to the basket, where he can see the whole floor. When Whereas you're, you're posting up, you're having to keep your eyes open for shooters around you and people sending potential double teams. That has not, Andre has not shown himself to be effective in that way. And when you have Blake Griffin, why do that with Andre Drummond? Um, so m- my argument here is that if you're the Pistons, you're, allocating 25% of the cap to a guy whose skills you're unable to maximize, especially on the offensive end. And if you're not providing him with, uh, to, for lack of a better term, two-way players, people who can be able to compete and, and bring something to the table on both sides of the basketball, then you're not setting him up to be good. There have been people who've said, well, you know, Ed Davis would be, would do just as fine as Andre Drummond. No, like that, that's, that's not a take. That's, that's a real bad take. But if you if you're not maximizing Andre Drummond, then maybe it is better to bring in someone who can give you, I don't know, 60 percent of what Andre Drummond does, uh, at least in in some capacity and move him for to to be able to have players at positional where like the position that they play can be maximized within all facets of the offense. And I think if you're going to be making an argument against Andre Drummond, that's where it needs to come from. Not that he's a bad player, a soft player, a player who doesn't try hard. 
that needs to be your argument, not not in, not in any of those other ways that is typically seen from anti-Andre Twitter. For me, Ethan, this is my conclusion. I am in the pro-Andre crowd. I think that if you are able to construct a roster the right way, and I, I've liked the things that Stefanski and company have done, if you're able to somehow, uh, I don't know, move on from Langston Galloway or John Luer in some way, maybe it involves you moving your first-round pick this year. I don't know. Uh, or maybe you're able to move Reggie Jackson in a first round, first rounder to, to bring in uh, a different ball handler. I, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, Ethan, but I have liked what they've done so far. And we have a whole lot more flexibility this year than we did last year. One extra season of Blake with, uh, with Andre. Um, I think you're maybe able to hopefully on Dwayne Casey's offense, offensive scheme has gotten knocked for that uh, a bit, but perhaps you're able to be more comfortable, be able to open more wrinkles and be able to maximize Andre's ability on the offensive end a little bit more than you did this year. I think that if you could find your way um, having a more competitive team next year, if you make the right moves in the off season, what I don't want to see happen and what I know will probably happen if the anti Andre Drummond people have the day is for him to take the path of the Chris Middleton's and Spencer Dinwiddie's of the world where they leave Detroit and they end up flourishing. And that's what I don't want to see with Andre Drummond. Yeah. So after, uh, you know, taking in some of that opining, I think what I've gathered from the weaknesses of Andre Drummond is, let me, and let me phrase it like this. If Clint Capella and Andre Drummond switch spots, like what? What would happen to Andre Drummond's career versus what would happen to Clint Capella's career? My goodness, Ethan. Um, first of all, Andre Drummond, a far better screener than Clint Capella. Like he's going to he's he's so much stronger, so much bigger. The I cannot imagine the Andre Drummond James Harden pick and rolls that we would see. Um, I think that uh, on the defensive end, he's not only getting you the rim protection because I think that he would be able to provide that. You don't have total sieves, yes. Um, I mean, you know, James Harden, he has been talked of enough, and we we've we don't need to talk that much about him, but you've got defenders like Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker out there. Now he may decline a bit because P.J. Tucker is older, Chris Paul is older, so maybe it changes. But you're going to have better defensive players around him than you do now if you're the Pistons. And I just think that he would especially – for him, like James Harden and Chris Paul would be the one and two guys. That makes Andre Drummond your third guy. My goodness. He is, he'd be a incredibly overqualified, I think, for that role. Um, he'd be able to, I think, bring more than Capella does on defense. And just, I'm, I'm still trying to imagine the James Harden, Andre Drummond, Chris Paul, Andre Drummond pick and rolls that you could see out there. Because uh, he would be a phenomenal role man if asked to to do that solely and everyone else on the floor out there can shoot, he'd have that whole area to himself. It, it would be something I think, Ethan, that a lot of people would really look at and, and they would think about him differently. And I like, please don't don't send him there. If, if Like for me as a Pistons fan, don't do that. Well, so even even with all those, like obviously player um, you know, pairings and whatnot. Yeah. The thing I was more interested in, what if you just gave him to Daryl Morey? Daryl Morey moves uh. somewhere else, and, like, that's, that's who he gets. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
can answer a lot of your questions about how people should feel about Andrew Drummond. And I'm glad that I, you know, I brought it up for the listeners to think of because everything you say about Clint Capella and what he does, right. It's mainly just, he doesn't do anything he's not supposed to do. And I think that is the ultimate problem with Andre Drummond's offensive game is that he still posts up. Sometimes he still like takes shots. Like that are like almost like floaters. You're, mm-hmm. you're six eleven, buddy. Like, you know, just get into a hook shot. Like you don't need you don't need to be off balance. Like you have the ability to rise above anyone that guards you. Don't don't rush anything. Yeah. And you know, stuff like that's stuff that Clint Capella will not do because he's he's not allowed to. He is he has this role, this assignment, this specific thing that he does, and he does it incredibly well. But if, if you if you ask me and you know, as much as much as I do like to, you know, get on to Andre Drummond and get onto you for mm-hmm. um for your Andre Drummond takes. Yeah. Um, there's nothing about Andre Drummond that's not better than Clint Capella, at least other than maybe just physical fitness, which Capella struggled with too. And um, just be contract, I guess, as well. But, yeah, well, yeah, you're getting like 18, 19 million dollars a year versus you know 24 or 25. Yeah. yeah. So you know that that's fair too, but that's also Daryl Morey at work. So yeah, it's I mean, and also you know it's tr- where you got drafted too. you know, Andre Drummond was what nine, ninth overall Capella was 17th or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those, those things, you know, weigh into how people end up getting paid off their, uh, into their next contracts. Well, Ethan, that, that, that's it. I, I talked a while. I waxed eloquently about it. I tried to make the case. So, yeah. And I think at the end of the day with, with that, with that thought in the listeners minds of, well, if you, if you put Andre Drummond, in the Clint Capella role, where all you ask him to do is that stuff, and he listened because you got you got to have buy in too. Mm-hmm. Like, what what could he be? And yeah. I think I think that should give people the actual, um, the actual story, so to speak. For sure. Well, Ethan, I think we've hit it. We're done. I'm done with the Pistons. Um, done talking about them. I mean, I'm, I'll watch them tomorrow when I'm rooting for them, hope, hope, hoping for a victory. In which case, we'll talk about the Pistons one more time. But that's probably it. That's probably all she wrote. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say we're done talking about the Pistons. Fair, that's fair enough. I that, that's respectable. All right, Richard. I will talk to you later. Peace. <laughs>